Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to episode 387 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. And uh, for the first time in a while, I have a special guest, not affiliated with Battery Power Podcast Network, but a guest before on this show, a friend of mine, and uh, just a general fantastic guy. Zach Dillard is here from Valley Sports Southeast and South, all those fun places. He has a fancy title and all that stuff too. Zach, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back. 387 episodes. I think this is my fourth or fifth. It's always fun to be uh, to be part of it. Uh, good to have baseball back on the calendar. Spring training coming up next week, so always good to be back. Um, yeah, it feels like this offseason has flown by, but here we are yet again. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just for transparency's sake, we're recording this on Friday, February 10th. It's earlier in the week than our usual time slot, but considering the Super Bowl is on Sunday, Zach's got to travel this coming week, as we'll get into in a second. I couldn't really ask anybody, including myself, to record during the Super Bowl because I have to work the Super Bowl and all that stuff. So we're recording early. Our apologies. If something big happens, then we'll come back and have more content in the future. But pitchers and catchers report this week. In fact, uh, I believe you are going down there to Florida to uh, cover all the things. Um, is there a is there a buzz in your life right now, Zach? I mean, I know baseball is coming, and I've always joked that once pitchers and catchers report, spring training gets pretty boring and in a hurry, in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, I, I do know this is more uh, more of an on site thing for you than it is for me. So uh, you'll be more in the weeds. Uh, are you fired up to go down there yet? It's always fun to go down there. I think part of it, I don't know if my bosses will ever listen to this, but part of it is just avoiding the office and the Zoom meetings that, that everyone's grown accustomed to. So it's nice to get out and uh, to get down there. And honestly, just spending time with a bunch of the players, the coaches, uh, I would never uh, want to position myself as someone that's down there breaking news and needing to be a part of all the action and things. But it is it is good for for my role and what we do on the TV side just to – to spend time with the guys, um, catch up with people. We were able to do this a little bit at Braves Fan Fest, uh, have a content room, and uh, kind of get uh, kind of get guys coming through and doing some fun things. So we'll do that yet again when we get down there. But honestly, when I get down there, it's mainly just stay out of the way of the important people, uh, let them do their jobs that at, uh, that they are very good at, and yeah, just it, it's good to kind of get baseball back up and going. Obviously, everyone's really excited. Uh, when those first, uh, you know, catcher's mitts start popping and start seeing guys arrive, um, fans are excited. And when fans are excited, it's always good to kind of be providing that content and be a part of it. So, yeah, that's probably a long-winded answer of spring training's fun. There's not a lot going on down there. Um, and, and I think this is my 10th year going. But, um, yeah, it's it's always a good time. It's good to a little bit warmer weather this time of year. 
Yeah, we're going to talk to baseball, I promise. I have one more question about uh, non-baseball things. Uh, for people that don't know this, you are, I believe it's the Director of Digital and Social Media Content. Is that accurate, Zach? Is that your, is that your title these days? I saw a press I release. Can I can confirm. <laughs> um, so it's not like you actually be allowed to break news. I'll, I'll say that. If you, start, if you start breaking news, you probably you, you probably get your hand slapped more than once. I have to say that right now. I could be wrong about that, but I can't imagine that they want you to break a lot of news on the break, especially this organization that never has anything leak. Uh, it'd be pretty funny if you started uh, just like breaking, you know, rotational news or something, transactions or whatever's going on. But um, you talked about it a little bit a second ago, but I, I do want to just like kind of get like, what do you what do you do down there? Because, you know, people that follow the Braves probably follow the beat writers and kind of know what they do. Generally speaking, they're talking to guys, they're writing things, they're tweeting things or whatever. Uh, you obviously work on more, more on the team side than on the, uh, on the public side. I would say that's probably fair, but maybe you would correct me, but um, what's your day like when you get out? Cause you're down there for what, a couple of weeks. Like what, what's going on when you actually arrive other than, other than, other than staying out of the way, which you just said, but uh, what do you actually do? I don't know. You're putting me on the spot. I'm like, what do I do? I, I don't know what I get down. That's there not true. You're packaging do. things and you're sharing things and getting video. I, I've seen you do things. I just want you to tell the audience what you actually do. No, it's so days are very early at spring training. Anybody that's been down there knows this is guys like to get in, get their work done and get out. They like to go out and golf. They like to have their afternoons off. So it's early morning, early mornings, early afternoons. And you're kind of editing and putting things together. I think uh, in in my role and my team's role, it's you know helping to provide that content that people are looking for the the photos, the videos, the behind the scenes uh, from the time that you know guys are uh, whether it's in the clubhouse or when they're out on the fields. And but really, as a as a general rule for our larger content team, um, it is staying out of the way because when the TV crew goes down there, um, and even on the Brave side, uh, you know you have these content rooms and. You're really gathering content. You're gathering big features, uh, doing demos with guys and, and compiling things that can last uh, not only for the rest of spring training and spring training shows, but even as you get into the season, having some big features that uh, that we're really proud of that I think resonate with fans. If anybody's seen, you know, uh, uh, Mike Soroka, you know, doing a pitch demo or, you know, Ozzy Albies doing a base running demo with Wash and EY. Um, those are all things that were typically down there, you know, working with the team and getting. So it it is exciting to do the behind the scenes stuff with guys. It can really highlight, you know, just how good they are at their jobs. Sometimes I think we take advantage of it when we just watch the sport, but just how intricately detailed the sport is. And yeah, really giving a platform to the players and coaches to uh, to show off their personalities as well as their expertise. So uh, I don't know if I answered your question. What I it was, actually it, do. It, it was great, Zach. You, you, did, a great, you did a great <laughs> but, job. Uh, but really, it's it's just kind of helping to quarterback all of that on uh on the social and digital platforms for us. I just enjoyed you dropping uh, a quote unquote my team. That was a uh, that was big time stuff from you on that one, Zach. I enjoyed that. Well, it's uh, not just me, so there is <laughs> I that. I know. Um, and uh, as we're recording this today, I think the uh, the the grand Valley Sports Braves account reveal today was the uh, was the was the video about players players and coaches making their picks on ba best baseball movie, which is actually pretty funny. I watched that video today, so you reached what me. It, what it, what is your favorite baseball movie? Um. Man, I think I am. I think I'm a Sandlot guy, given my age. It's like right in the perfect window. I don't know if that's the correct answer, but it's probably the one that I've watched the most. The only, the runner up there might be like a very silly one, like Rookie of the Year, big Rookie of the Year guy. Yeah, I think we're right, we're right there in that same generation that 
you know, sometimes it's just what you grew up with. So yeah. I think Sandlot's the first one that always pops up to me and probably a nostalgia based answer more than anything. Uh, one final thing there, uh, because and you'll appreciate this about me knowing me l- like you do. I also am a, a big little big league fan because obviously I was the maniac 12 year old who knew all the stats, like the kid who's ma- suddenly managing a baseball team at 12 years old or whatever he is. That was uh, a <laughs> that, 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 that hit close to me in my in that particular age of my life. That, that, so, that, that does not surprise anyone listening to this podcast right now. Th- that's correct. Um, OK, let's talk about some baseball. Um Broadly, you know, the spring, it's going to be early, like you said. I, I mean, the, I guess the big headliner of the last couple of days is that Ronnie's playing in the W on the WBC, which was kind of kind of a surprise, not a bad one. I'm sure it's great for fans. They get to watch him play in some high-level baseball. Eddie Rosario is playing. I wonder, on the baseball side, take your uh, content hat off. Um, what are you looking for as far as, like, what guys look like? I think Ronnie is probably the answer everybody has. But, you know, he's not the only storyline. You know, Ozzy's coming back. You have guys trying to make uh, some bounce backs like Rosario, who's playing WBC again. But I wonder what you're like kind of broadly looking for from players early on. You know, it's it's tough until they're taking real at-bats or throwing real pitches. But um, anything circling in your brain is like something that you want to specifically keep an eye on baseball-wise early on? Yeah, I think I'm stealing your notes. But, I mean, that provides a huge wrinkle this spring is that you do get to see real at-bats. You know, yeah. you get to see uh, Rosario, who I think, may even need the WBC and just competitive at bats and getting going earlier, uh, even more than Ronnie, who just, you know, went to uh, Venezuela and looked great. I think it's uh, if the team's medical staff is, is good with it, then, you know, uh, Ronald is clearly chomping at the bit to play as much baseball as possible. And he's looked great. Uh, you know, he's uh, thankfully kept us very up to date if his, with his off-season <laughs> workouts. We all watch those yeah. uh, as we go through every single time. So I think the WBC has really thrown um, uh, a helpful wrench into the equation when it comes to getting those real at-bats for some some of these guys. Uh, even a guy like Chadwick Trump going down there playing for the Netherlands. You know, I think he we saw him a little bit last year. You know, they're just, uh, you know, an injury, an IL stint you know, away from Murphy and Darno, from Trump being a, a decent part of this team or an important, you know, depth piece for this team. So uh, the WBC certainly throws, uh, throws some interest in there in terms of some real competitiveness in spring, but I, I'm right there with everyone else, you know, seeing Vaughn Grissom, you know, at shortstop, I don't think he's going to be in left field in the spring based on what I uh, think I remember reading. Uh, so just seeing how, just seeing how him and Ozzy really, those are two, you know, that infield getting to work together, obviously Orlando RC is going to be in that mix as well, but, um, that's the big one, right? The middle of that infield, you know, the new, new player at shortstop, regardless with Dansby not being there. And then Ozzy getting back up to full speed, having a, having a healthy off season from what we've heard and getting those middle infielders working together. I'm sure that that's going to be a, a highlight of spring for everybody. Uh, just kind of getting to see every getting to see the work that they're putting in there. And other than that, I mean, you have, you know, Sean Murphy kind of being, uh, you know, thrown into the mix. I'm sure we'll, you know, be sending out some videos and stuff and getting a look at his pop time and getting a look at everything else. Because uh, while we got to see him a little bit last year, um, he isn't exactly the, you know, well-known star power kind of buried in Oakland a little bit. So uh, getting to see Sean Murphy get to work with, you know, work his way into the team, working with the pitchers and kind of seeing, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of subjective here, but just kind of seeing how he blends into the clubhouse, because I think that catcher position is so important with how it kind of connects uh, the entire team together. Murphy's a really interesting one because 
like you said, and I think we drove this point home a lot when that trade happened. Like, I don't think people know who Sean, who Sean Murphy is. Like, beyond the diehards, because he's playing with the A's, he's a catcher, he's not this, like, huge power guy. And, I mean, even now, I'm not, this is obviously a little bit anecdotal, but, like, I see our Twitter mentions at Battery Power sometimes, and it's like, one of the big questions that I have, and this is this is my, uh, my, my fan voice, is, like, what is Sean Murphy? And it's like, well, Sean Murphy's not really a question. I mean, I understand that but he's been a proven guy for multiple seasons like i know um my my pal scott coleman our co-host usually on this podcast tweeted about this this week but um i think murphy was like outside the top 80 or something on the mlb network top 100 list which is crazy like he was definitely like a top 50 player in the league this year maybe even higher than that so i think he's going to be underrated he kind of has a skill set to be underrated but you mentioned Travis Travis trump as well they're also going to have i think maybe some regular plate appearances at dh from the catchers which might add some even more utility for a third catcher. Um, I'm not sure it's going to be like Trump you know, being on the roster all the time, but that's a guy that's uh, worth circling for sure. So, I mean, you talked about Murphy, but are you expecting him to just be the same guy he was in Oakland? Because, spoiler alert, that guy's a, an all-star player, basically. Yeah, I think he's going to be really good. Um, now, is he going to be uh, exactly what he was and just as good when he's splitting some time a little bit more because you do need to work Darno in? Um, you know, how does he adjust to you know, maybe getting some time at DH. Does it help him offensively? Does it throw him out of throw him out of his rhythm? Uh, there's a whole bunch of, you know, unknowns and question marks that kind of get thrown into there. But I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, I know that Sean Murphy was probably a top 50 player last year, and he, he did. I just looked it up. Uh, came in at number 84 on the top 100 uh, for MLB's list that they throw out there every year. Too but low. Even, too, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it may be too low, but I'd also just throw in there that, like, it's ahead of someone like Giancarlo Stanton, Bobby Witt Jr., Jazz Chisholm. Like he's coming in above, you know, a bunch of guys that people probably gravitate towards in terms of star power uh, in the majors, for better or for worse. Um, but he's really good. He's a really good player. And do I think they upgraded what was already a position of strength with Contreras and Darno? Yes. Uh, was it necessary? I I don't know. I mean, it's the deal that landed in their laps to upgrade. Um, I'm with you though. I think. DH outside of Contreras last year was a disaster for them. And yeah. I think they don't have that guarantee on the roster that can slot in there. So I do think it's going to be, you know, Darno and Murphy in a best case scenario, you know, you call it their playoff lineup or opening day lineup, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think one of those guys are slotting into the DH quite a bit this year. Yeah. And honestly, I think that in the midst of the topic that everyone is discussing, which is essentially the mismatch of uh, shortstop and left field as the question marks on the roster to some extent. I think DH gets overlooked because of what you just said. You know, Contreras was their uh, sort of silver bullet at DH, and he is much more of a pure hitter um, than the guys they have now at catcher. And look, I think they have the best catcher duo in Major League Baseball. Um, I think they're that good. Darno is like a top 10 catcher in the sport, and he's their backup, which is insane. Um, yeah. But that's where they are. But I will say... Um, as a bit of cold water, I guess, neither one of these guys at DH is like this huge plus when they're not catching. Like they're still good hitters, but Sean Murphy is not an elite hitter in a vacuum. He's a really good hitting catcher. So is Travis Darno. But if that's your plan at DH, and I don't know that it is, but then there are other names. Obviously, Ozuna's still on this roster. They have other guys that can plug in there and uh, a lot of kind of weird auxiliary depth in the outfield right now. They have a bunch of names going into sport, going into spring training. But um, I do have, I'm not saying it's a giant question mark, but DH is more unsettled than I think people are realizing that it is because 
I think a lot of people are just penciling in the, the the catcher every day or the second catcher every day as the DH, and that's that's fine, and maybe that's gonna what, what it's gonna be. I just don't think that um, you know, just doing the translation. I've, I'm always ranting and raving about how bad catcher is across baseball, and these guys are really good catchers, but they're also like, is is Sean Murphy just as a hitter when he's not catching an above average DH? I kind of think probably not. I mean, he's maybe average, but he's not he's not gonna like let your world on fire on DH. Yeah, I I would throw in there that you know last year they had two really concerning spots and that was left field where if you look at positional war uh, for the entire team, they come, they came in at 29, you know, Oof. Texas Rangers were the only one were, were the only team that was worse than them. If I can get those words out last year, worse than the national league. Um, uh, and obviously you're hoping that Eddie Rosario or some, you know, variation of the outfielders they picked up can, can slot in there, but DH, they were just mediocre and really it was, um, really it was Contreras that, that pushed them over the top and he wasn't even the, the opening day guy. So, you know, Atlanta DH last year hit 4% above league average for context, the league leaders, St. Louis, uh, 51% above league average. So they aren't getting that. I think to your point, the, the prototypical mashing DH hitting 50% above league average. That's really, you know, hitting cleanup for you or hitting fifth, uh, they don't have that cleanly in the in the roster right now. And I think it is going to be a test of, you know, Snicker and the staff and how they can kind of put that together. Um, but those were the two big question marks this year. Obviously, with Dansby moving on, had a great year last year. Shortstop becomes a question mark, too. So, you know, I think, you know, as you're kind of just weighing all of these things with this team, it's an 101 win team, five straight division titles. They have some roster holes. But then they also have some just internal, uh, I would say it's not guaranteed. Not, nothing is guaranteed. But they have some internal, uh, very likely projectable improvements when you look at things like right field and second base that I think that, you know, if it all balances out, you're still looking at, you know, triple digit wins once again. Uh, yeah, I, I agree across the board, and I, we are going to focus a little bit on the more on the more positive stuff. I just wanted to make sure we hit on the uh, the stuff that everyone's talking about. At least fans about the but weaknesses. You talked about Von Grissom. Um, you know, the question is the shortstop defense. Uh, you know, it seems like Ron Washington is all in on his defense. That's positive. Um, I. I We'll see. I think that there is some safety at shortstop with Arcia, who's not a great starting shortstop. I think we, we can be candid about that, but he is a major league shortstop and he's proven to be that. So there's a little bit of safety there. And then left field, they have so many options that, you know, perhaps they can find a combination that will get them to average production. And like it doesn't have to be star level in left field. That's kind of one of the things like you mentioned how bad it was last year. They were still able to be really, really good a season ago. Can he be better than that? I think probably. I think Rosario is better than the player he was last year. I think, you know, we'll see what Ozuna looks like if he's even on the around and on the roster. They have a lot of options that, you know, the Luplo types. They have several either non-roster invitees or minor league contract guys or whatever to plug and play. And I think just having options there, and like you said uh, briefly a second ago, um, having right field settled and having Ronnie there healthy, knock on wood and all those things, takes some pressure off as well. You don't have to be shuffling in that spot. Um, and guys can just focus on what they're supposed to be doing. Um, so it sounds like from what you just said, you're not particularly worried. It's just one of those, like you have to say it's a point of uncertainty in the DH left field shortstop corridor over there on the left side, but it's not going to hold the team back from being uh, very good. It didn't seem. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there are concerns. I mean, but 
you're not going to find a perfect team out there. I think every team you can kind of find some some holes, some question marks, and injuries get thrown into the mix. And honestly, depth gets challenged sometimes uh, with some of these teams. And I think that's something that's been forgotten uh, in some of the you know the five straight division title teams for the Braves that on paper opening day lineup rotation you know everything going perfectly for all of these teams they may not have been the best team all five years but part of it gets thrown into how are you able to adjust uh what moves do you make at the trade deadline obviously 2021 in the world series team uh being the the crown jewel of that but i i don't think they're perfect you know they do have some big questions but they also have talent galore at some really important spots. They're very young in some in sp- some spots where you could even have some projectability to get better. Um, so I think they're a really good team. That's no surprise. I think the Mets are really good. Phillies were in the World Series last year. So you have in this one division, you know, 201 win teams and, and then a World Series runner up. So uh, already you're, you're looking at a division that um, is tough to win and it's going to be tough to win once again. You know, everybody plays everybody this year. So you're not going to have to face the Mets and Phillies quite as much. Uh, unfortunately for those teams, you don't get to face the Marlins and Nationals quite as much. But uh, there, there is going to be some some movement and some jostling around with some of these pieces. Um, but you mentioned even a guy like Jordan Luplo, like it kind of gets thrown in there. You know, how much can they can they platoon that left field spot and to hopefully find some answers where it's not just. A mess. I mean, that's the only way to describe left field last year. It was, it was <laughs> yes. not, it was not there for them. Uh, it was, it was their really, it was their one big weakness, and that wasn't necessarily going to be the case on opening day because the idea was that you know eventually Adam Duvall could slot over there. Uh, I know Michael Harris was a bit of a bit of a surprise for them, but um, they have some holes to fill. Shortstops, yet another one of them, um, and you know it's a matter of who can step up because. It's not always going to be perfect in that opening day lineup. And I think even as slow as they started in 21, slow as they started in 22, uh, I think they've shown time and again that it's about kind of once those pieces fall into place, can you can you put a run together? Yeah, and as we'll get into in a second, there are not a lot of weaknesses elsewhere on paper, which is uh, kind of what points to this team being uh, quite excellent on paper this season before it all begins. We'll have more with Zach and myself in a second, but first a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Zach, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, and I can give mine if you don't, if you're not ready to give yours just yet. Uh, do you have a guy that you've circled that's like your guy this season? And I, I say that in a way that to, to just like, you know, somebody that you're higher on or someone that you're expecting a breakout from or whatever. Um, I have mine in mind and it's not going to surprise anybody, but I wonder if you uh, have somebody that you just have an affinity for right now that is maybe higher than other people. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to punt uh, because I was ready for this question, uh, but I would love to hear yours first. Uh, unsurprisingly, mine is Ozzy Albies. 
I think that people just generally have maybe not forgotten or maybe underestimated all the way. I think he was probably underrated when he was healthy and now he's even more underrated. Like if you look at any objective metric from about second baseman in, in the majors leagues in, like, in the last half decade, Ozzy Albies is in the top five, essentially, in uh, the way that he has performed when healthy. He's been banged up, but you know, as long as he's been around, Ozzy just turned 26. It's not like he's got an age concerns. I know he's very, very small. He's a very, very small human being, but he's also strong and obviously, I'm sure, raring to go after being banged up this last year. And in 2021, the guy hit 30 home runs with 20 stolen bases and scored 100 runs and all that stuff. Like, I think Ozzy Albies is still a star. Like, he's not a Ronald Acuna star, but he is a second level star. And I think people don't necessarily treat him that way or remember him that way or project him that way and i think there's like no reason to believe that he won't be that guy again like is he at least a three and a half win player i think yes yeah i i definitely think a three war three and a half war is easily projectable for ozzy when he's healthy um you know i think to your point being underrated i think he did finish outside of maybe his mlb network's top 10 second baseman which is come on kind of, what are we it, doing it, here it, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of laughable like how one injury can throw things off the one thing i will say about ozzy and i see this quite a bit is you know if ozzy's healthy he's right back to you know the top of that lineup whether it be uh you know some people want him at lead off but no, uh, no that's no, besides no. the point but even at second and i will say the one thing about ozzy is that i want to see him getting back to that 2019 level you know 350 obp yeah. you know 2020 he was at 306 there were some injuries in there uh 310 2021 uh, under 300 last year, 294 uh, OBP. So obviously, uh, I think his speed, sometimes people think he's like this, the fastest player ever, but, and he's not, uh, he's not going to be like a stolen base king by any stretch of the imagination. But I will say that, you know, Ozzy is too athletic and too valuable to not be getting on base. Uh, you know, to be getting on base at under 30% is just uh, not where he needs to be. So I would love to see his bat. Uh, get a little bit back up into that realm because the pop's always there. You know, he, he's going to win healthy. You know, slug is going to be in the 450 to the, even the 500 range where it was in 2019. So I'm right there with you. Ozzy is a very good player. Three, 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 five war seems very likely if he's playing, you know, 150 something games. Um, I would bet I would put money against uh, him doing under that if he's able to stay healthy that long. Um you know, the, the one guy that I was really thinking of is, you know, I think the shift has thrown Olsen's name out there quite a bit. Yeah. Or, you know, Acuna and the bigger bases, like 30-30, 40-40. Like, I get all of those things that it kind of feels, I don't want to say a cheat code with, you know, picking the Acuna, Freed, Strider, Olsen. The one thing that I think has been a little overlooked that I will bet on again this year and – I don't, I'm not, I don't have this like affinity for wins, but Kyle Wright is somebody that I genuinely do think figured things out last year, um, which is great because they're really asking him to, he doesn't have to be the top of the rotation guy. Um, I think he could really put together yet another good season, if not better season, you know, going into last season, there were still some of those question marks in terms of confidence, in terms of, you know, consistency. Um, and I think he put things together really well last year. And I think that was indicative of his postseason start. You know, the only guy that for various reasons went out and and shoved for this team in the postseason as in the starter role. 
Um, and even when you look over, you know, I think he had a few ups and downs over the course of the season, but you look at the final 10 starts he had last year, uh, and that even included like this clunker in Oakland, uh, but final 10 starts postseason game included, you know, two, eight, one ERA. Um, I think he got hit pretty, I think harder than expected last year, given his stuff. But to me, the stuff plays, I, I I'm expecting another really, really good, let's call it number two, number three starter type season for Kyle Wright and, you know, wins are don't really matter. I don't know if he's going to have another 20 win season, but uh, yeah, count me in for Wright being, you know, a sub three ERA guy next year. You're channeling uh, the Scott Coleman right now. Cause that, that's, uh, Am that's I? Scott's guy. Scott's guy. Scott has always been like hilariously high on Kyle Wright, even when he was not very good. And now that he is very good, he's insufferable about it, which is great. He should be uh victory last for Scott all the time. Hi Scott. Um, but no, it's, I, I'm with you. I was actually going to ask you about like kind of the, you know, they're not all the same, but for me, I'm, I'm kind of grouping Kyle Wright, Spencer Strider and Michael Harris in a similar category as like guys, like what the follow-up looks like. Cause you know, right. Yeah. It's not, was not a rookie last year, but clearly had his breakout last year. Strider and uh, Harris were very quick to make their breakouts um, and are tremendous. Um, you know, Strider, I think everyone knows how good he was on a, on a per inning basis. Harris was excellent at everything essentially. And I wonder like, is it conceivable that they could all follow that up? Cause you know, if you do the math and I'm not trying to be negative, but it's, it's my on brand. Like it's possible that Strider and Harris are not quite as good this year as they were last year and probably because they were so good last year it's not that they're going to be bad but like there were some questions about harris's bat when he before he debuted strider was like so incredible that he almost can't be better if that makes sense on a per inning basis so like i mean i'm not i guess it's a very obvious question to be like how confident are you this guy can sort of follow it up but i'm at least circling those three guys in different ways but also kind of similarly as like okay what's number two look like after their breakout seasons why do you hate Strider and Harris? I don't. I love them. I, I no, and, and well, especially with Strider, because you know Harris position players are safer in general, and I think Harris's defense makes him even more safe. Like I, I can't see a world where Harris has a bad, quote unquote, bad season because even if the bat cools off, like his glove and his legs, and like he'll be fine. Strider, you know, as long as he's not hurt at any point, like the stuff is so ridiculous that he's going to be pretty good. But I mean, I, I mean, I know, you know this, but if you look at his praying numbers, they were like the best in baseball. I mean, he was, he was ridiculous last season. Like, is he really going to be that? I don't know. That, that's just, that's pretty, it's a pretty high bar to clear to be like, Hey, by the way, now I'm Justin Verlander. <laughs> Essentially. It's it's just a lot. No, not, not only that I'm Randy Johnson. Yeah. I mean, whatever that's, it is. I mean, that's really what we're looking at with, with Spencer. I mean, I think there's a narrative there that you're really getting at, which is, and that, you know, whether it's Braves fans or even media that a guy has a great season and it's guaranteed that next year. And I think in many people's minds, okay, everyone else is going to be the same or better. And then Ronald and Ozzy are going to come in, be healthy, and you're going to win 120 games. I mean, none of this stuff is linear in terms of what is guaranteed, what is, you know, growth. And I think there is a very real possibility that if not all, like one, two, three of them, there is some regression. I mean, there, there, that could be a very real possibility. Obviously I just bet against, you know, Kyle Wright saying, you know, I believed in what he did, but it's hard to say with, with Harris and Strider because, uh, you know, typically there is some in-season adjustment from the league, but 
you know, does the league adjust to them, you know, this next season? Or do they kind of run into some, you know, mechanical issues or anything else? So, yeah, I, I think it's a very real possibility that, you know, a full season of Harris, he's not an eight-war player. Or, you know, Spencer Strider broke Randy Johnson's record, you know, fastest to 200 strikeouts. So you only need 130 innings. Like, if you're getting 30 starts and 150 innings at that level, like, go ahead and ship the Cy Young, like, to yeah. to Atlanta for, for Strider. Uh, I think we're going into a season where you can't exactly say that. Whereas, like, there is a track record for a guy like Max Freed, or there is a track record for a guy like Acuna that have done it three, four, five seasons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's unknown. There, there's uncertainty with any of these things. The one thing I'll say is that, you know, talking to talking to guy, you know, talking to behind the scenes, whether it be with, you know, coaches, front office, everything like that, there's a lot of faith in the amount of work and the amount of preparation that all these guys put in. And I think Harris and Strider have been, you know, far beyond their years, certainly far beyond their, you know, experience in terms of what they put into it, how they approach the game. So I think there's a lot of room for confidence, but, uh, you know, you, you just don't know what's going to happen with these young guys. So, yeah, I mean, I think there, there's a very real chance that they're not quite as good as they were last year. And I think that would be okay if that makes any sense. No, it's hundred percent the case. I mean, I'm, I think if you're doing a projection, that's what the real projection would has to be. I mean, I don't think anybody is going to project like median Strider and Harris to be better than they were last year on a per game basis. Like just for reference, just so people don't think we're just making stuff up uh, Strider of all pitchers with at least a hundred innings last year, which basically takes out all the relievers and, anyone that's not a small sample size starter. He led the major leagues, not just the national league, the major leagues in strikeout rate, XERA, FIP, and XFIP. He was number two in home run rate. Uh, it was ludicrous. Like he was the best pitcher alive during, once he once he came up last year, essentially the entire way through. He was that good. And like, I don't think that you can project that. Is it a possible outcome? Sure it is. I mean, it wouldn't like blow me away if he was the same guy. But the same thing with Harris, like, yeah, I think it was, I think you just said it was, an, it was like an eight win pace for Harris. Like that, that's a crazy number. Like that's a, you know, top five player in baseball. We're ta- you're talking trout. Like you're talking yeah. trout. You're talking Mookie Betts. Like, which I maybe mean, he, Bill maybe he's, he's going to be that guy. I mean, he could be, uh, he's still young enough where like, especially when, then, and you know this, but the easiest, well, I should say easiest, the, the clearest path to getting to those truly ridiculous war totals is being an elite defender on top of being a good hitter. It's really hard to be an eight win player only, only at the plate. Like you have to be just completely ridiculous, but Michael Harris can do it with the glove. So, yeah, I was just about to say there is that part of it for Harris that even if his bat goes away and this is part of his contract extension and everything where, you know, I don't think the risk is, is, and I know you agree with this because we talked about it at the time that the risk isn't nearly as high because there is that defensive floor you know, he's just about to be turned 22 years old. And there is that defensive floor that uh, he's going to provide you gold glove defense. Uh, even Alex Anthopoulos at FanFest, um, he was doing a panel and he said he's he's the best player I've ever watched live going back on a ball. You know, just like defensively, he is like jump off the page. Great. And that is somebody that has scouted a lot of guys. And sure, he didn't scout someone like an Andrew Jones, but like, when when somebody is special, you know, someone jumps off the page or somebody's breaking Randy Johnson's, you know, <laughs> strikeout records like 
these guys are special. Um, and I think there there is we have to take that into consideration that in some ways we haven't seen these things before. Uh, I would say even I would say especially on the strider level, um, we don't you don't see rookie seasons like that pitching. I think he had a better uh, rookie of the year case than anyone. Uh, I would say even especially like Atlanta media gave him credit for um, because he had a stronger Cy Young case. And I think a lot of people gave him credit for yeah. um, really it was the Braves decision. I would say error in not moving him <laughs> into the rotation sooner last year um, that just robs him of some innings. And I know he kind of got injured at the end of the season and uh, there were always question marks about innings limits and things like that. But, uh, but I would say like, Going into the season, you're giving that guy a full season of he he's he's a creature of habit. He's methodical. He likes that four day prep. Um, you're giving him a full season. If again, if you're getting 30 starts, 150 innings from Spencer Strider this year, uh, anywhere close to the level of you know two seven five ERA, he was he struck out 38 percent of guys he faced last year. Like at anywhere near that level, like. Sandy Alcantara has Cy Young, you know, problems, you know, uh, Max Scherzer has Cy Young competition, like whoever great starter is out there that you think is the best starter in the national league. Spencer Strider is right there with him. If he's even close to his per inning, uh, rates last year. So, um, yeah, I, <laughs> could there be regression? Sure. Uh, because I don't know if he's going to be Randy Johnson for the rest of his career. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm just talking myself in circles because, uh, these guys were so good last year and to ex just expect that of them again, or it's a disappointment is probably unfair to the players. It is. And that's, there's a fine line between excitement, which I think everyone has about both of them and also just like trying to be realistic. And maybe they're so good that they make you look silly for being realistic. That's possible too. Uh, so that, that'd be the hope if you're, if you're the Braves or Braves fans or anybody involved, but uh it's very nice to have two young guys who, you know, not that they weren't part of the future plan going into last season, but a year ago today, we weren't talking about Strider and Harris being like crucial parts of the 2022 team. <laughs> like, and they, and they were so ridiculously good. Harris came up and it was kind of a surprise that he even came up when he came up and, and was immediately incredible. And then Strider, we thought was going to be like maybe a bullpen arm, maybe a late, maybe late inning starter, uh, late season starter, I should say. And those and he was and they were obviously the top two rookie of the year candidates by a wide margin. And uh, it's pretty crazy to have that kind of uh, bolstering in the middle of a season. Um, I do want to ask about the pitching staff beyond uh, Wright and Strider, because it seems like and I think Fangraphs agrees, Zips agrees. Um, the Braves have a top three, four pitching staff in baseball. If you go top to bottom, like if they don't have necessarily, you know, the rotation is not the sexiest nationally especially if you don't have uh, any idea what Strider is going to be yet um, nationally. I think people are probably starting to figure out Strider because he's got uh, the charisma that he has, but you know, Freed as good as he is. I don't think people understand how good he is nationally, probably. Um, you know, there's some skepticism, I think even locally about Charlie Morton. I'm higher on, on him than most, but um, you know, they have a good rotation. The bullpen is honestly on paper, ludicrously good again. Uh, bullpens are volatile, but I wonder what you think. Like, do you have any concerns or is it just like on paper, it looks like this is going to be a very, very good group, you know, one to 14, basically. Yeah, the one to 14, they're fantastic. Fangraphs has a fun uh, tab that you can click. And basically this isn't a perfect science, but you can take 2022 stats for guys that are on the active roster. And if you hit active roster on Fangraphs, just on the, 
you know, pitching league wide. Braves are first in pitching Fangraphs War uh, for right. 2022 <laughs> stats. They were extremely good. We're not. We're, we're going to get into the bullpen a little bit in a second, but they made some great bullpen additions. And yeah, I mean, I think let's start at the top. You know, Max Freed is probably still underrated. Like probably when you look at who gets mentioned in terms of the best starters in baseball, uh, his consistency. Uh, He's just fantastic, and I, I think that it he's a true number one. I mean, you know, what what do you want to call it, an ace or anything else? Like, he's a guy that obviously the game six uh, heroics, you know, uh, live forever. But even in the regular season stuff, you know, since 2020, he's one of 12 pitchers with 10-plus Fangraphs war. And out of that group, he has the third best ERA behind only Corbin, Corbin Burns and Max Scherzer. Uh he is in the elite of the elite category when it comes to pitching. Uh, safely a top 10 guy in, in baseball for me. Doesn't necessarily have like the biggest strikeout numbers or, you know, some of that projectability when it comes to, you know, FIP or anything like that. So maybe somebody would say that he outperforms his peripherals sometimes, but top tier strikeout to walk rate. Uh, keeps the baseball in the yard. Like that's a huge thing, you know, for me, just letting his defense go to work by not. I think he was like third best among qualified starters in home run rate last year. Um, you know, we'll see how things play out without, you know, we'll call it an elite short, you know, shortstop. You know, we'll see how the defense plays out behind him. I think that's important for all these pitchers. Um, but let's start at the top where Max Fries is fantastic. And yeah, one through four, they are as about as good as it gets. And I know that Charlie Morton, you know, yeah, I think he would even joke that he let the ball out of the yard too much last year. The yep. weird hit by pitch stuff, but you can kind of go into this season thinking Charlie Morton's no longer your number two. If Charlie Morton's giving you that production or getting better in the four spot for your rotation, that's pretty solid. Um, and I think Charlie could have uh, a nice bounce back season. Does he have one more elite year in him? Uh, I don't know, but he was still a 200 strikeout guy last year. And those guys don't just grow on trees. It's not that easy just to find 200 strikeout starters uh, that can eat up innings for you. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we've already talked about Strider and Wright. I mean, the big question is the fifth starter spot, whether that's Anderson, whether that's Soroka. Um, I think they have options. It was interesting. I keep going back to this panel, but I listened a lot to some stuff that Anthopolis was saying a couple weeks ago. And he was saying that, you know, everyone gets, you know, really in-depth on who's your opening day rotation, who's the fifth guy, who's the fifth guy. But on average, MLB teams use 11 starters a season. So it's not just going to be the four and then whoever the five is and maybe a rotation of Soroka and Anderson, and we'll see. And the good news for the Braves is, you know, they've – I think they've taken a hit to the depth with some trades of guys like Kyle Muller this offseason, but they still have depth in terms of Anderson, Soroka – Bryce Elder pitched some really big games for them last year. Uh, there's still some guys in AAA that can probably come up and give you some spot starts. So um, I'm not too wrapped up in the fifth starter role. I think on a personal level, uh, it would be just such a great story to see Mike Soroka back in the majors this year and and getting back to, you know, speaking of all-time rookie seasons, I think it gets lost that Mike Soroka was one of those guys just a few years back. Um and if he's, I think the main thing I want to see with with Soroka is just a, a fully healthy season, whether that's half in AAA, half in the majors, whether he spends the majority of the time in AAA, 
just a fully healthy season for Soroka would be fantastic. So, um, yeah, this pitching this pitching group is is kind of crazy. I mean, again, active roster first in baseball. I I certainly see it as top four or five groups easily. Um, and then this bullpen has has um has a has a case to be made for the best bullpen in baseball for what is the last 36 months i mean really yeah. since the 2021 i'm i'm terrible at month math but uh but uh ever since the 2021 trade deadline you know they won a world series on the backs of uh that bullpen last year they were a top 3 bullpen easily from you know start to finish and then this year they're going into it and yeah, they lose some pieces, but they've added some big pieces that I think have kind of uh, gotten lost in the shuffle. You know, uh, Jimenez and, you know, a full season of Russell Iglesias. Um, I think they're going to be really, really good. Yeah, Kirby Yates, too. I mean, I think they are hoping Kirby Yates yeah. is going to look like Kirby Yates. I mean, we don't know that to be to be sure, but a couple of years ago before the injury, Kirby Yates was the top 10 reliever in baseball. Like, I'm not sure that's a projectable outcome again, but he could be awesome again. AJ Minter is still awesome, et cetera. So uh, they have plenty of plenty of depth there. And uh, I agree with your point. I it's one that I try to make a lot too on the fifth starter spot in particular. Like I think I counted it at one point and they used 13 or 14 last year starters. And that was for a good team. It's not yeah. like, you know, so some, some of those stats that are kind of weighed down by bad teams. The Braves were obviously awesome last year and they still used more than 10 starting pitchers over the course of a season. So you, you, you're just going to need depth. And there's always going to be a day, a day in the season where like you look down and like nobody's available and you got to, and you got to use your plug and play guy from Gwinnett. That's like, he's uh, probably your, your 12th starter. He's got, he's got to pitch on a, on a day game on a Tuesday or whatever, but uh, that's just, that's just baseball. And None of these guys are going to necessarily blow you away on paper right now, but you know, having Bryce Elder as another option who's been a little bit proven and pitched well at times last year. Um, and look, worst comes to worse, I think it's pretty doable to go find a stopgap fifth starter um, that's more of a veteran. I know, uh, Odor- I know the Odorizzi thing uh, did not go super well last year, but a guy like that to just fill innings. And uh, I want to just echo what you said earlier about Morton. I know this is going to get me in trouble because I'm seen as the as the pro Morton guy. Um, even if you just took Morton's output from last season, Charlie Morton was worth 1.5 Fangraphs war. If that's your four starter, it's actually fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no, no one's going to be excited about it, and I totally get that. But even in a in a you know objectively it was a down season for Charlie Morton. He's old, and I get that. Even if you just did that again, it wouldn't be the worst outcome. Like it would be a little bit less than you want probably for that spot and what you're paying him and all that. I think that's part of the, you know, this very well, Zach, a lot of the attention on Morton right now was because he's making a lot of money and I get that, but you know, take that away. And like, he was a four starter this last season, like in terms of his, his actual output. And we all agree he didn't pitch that well. And the home run stuff was bad. And, but it's like, as a good example of the home run disaster, his ex-fip, if you like that metric was 3.6. Like he just gave up a lot of home runs and it, it, maybe, maybe that'll happen again. I don't, I'm not saying it won't, but like, if you just look at it through, like if he has a relatively normal home run distribution last year, he actually has a pretty decent season. Yeah. And I, the only thing I'd throw in there as well is like, no one is more aware of these things than Charlie Morton. He is the first person to uh, express his disappointment, to laugh at his own expense. Um I think uh, he'd be disappointed by his output from last year. And he was. Oh, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, you're right. I mean, I think that's another really quiet thing. You asked me off the top, you know, spring training things to watch. 
one thing that gets lost a lot in spring training is just how many moves uh, get made, how many guys don't make rosters, get released, how many bench pickups there are, how many, you know, relievers that get moved. And a fifth starter is, you know, the type of guy that I, I can remember years back, I think it was Honorable Sanchez uh, that moved at spring training. I, my memory could be just failing me completely. But point being, uh, these are the types of things that happen quite a bit in spring, obviously later in spring as rosters start to get cut. But it's another thing for for fans and media and everybody else to keep an eye on is um, while we're going into the spring thinking it's going to be an Anderson-Soroka battle, and it very well could be, and I think there's far worse ways to go with, uh, I think I think there are teams around the league that would uh, give up a lot of pieces to have that battle for their fifth spot. Um, yeah, that, that that's something to keep an eye on as well, that, you know, it, it may not be the the headline news, you know, it may be the Odorizzi type of name that is out there, but if they don't feel confident with how that battle's going or they want to give those guys, you know, a little time in AAA to start the year, uh, spring training, you know, roster cuts happen around the league and, you know, keep an eye on names that are moving around. I saw that uh, Mark Bowman, good friend of friend of all, uh, projected Ian Anderson to win the battle in his initial um, roster projection. Of course, he encouraged everyone on Twitter to yell at him, so uh, – Please feel free to yell at Bowman on Twitter about his roster projection, but he went with Anderson. I might lean that direction too. He talked about Soroka. You know, it is what it is. Like everyone's rooting for Mike. It's, it almost goes without saying that everyone's rooting for Mike. But um, you know, I, 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 this is more of a non-baseball thing. Is Charlie Morton as uh, as cool as he seems? I've only talked to the man once in my life. He, he seems to be he seems to be incredible to me. And I know you've talked to him more than I have. So you got into that there. He's, he's a, he seems like just kind of a mensch, you know, just some just one of the, just like just a guy, you know, normal, normal guy. I feel like the two of you could have a six-hour podcast. Uh, Charlie, if you're listening, please feel free to come on the show anytime you'd like. I might have to uh, go through Braves PR and, de- and definitely get told no, but I'll ask to see if Charlie will come no, on the he, podcast. He's a, he's a great guy to have in the clubhouse <laughs> as well. And I would even throw out there, he's just, you know, the Braves do, they are still very young. You know, they're still very yeah. inexperienced top to bottom, uh, even on the pitching side. And I think he's been, you know, somebody that a lot of guys can – can lean on for advice. I think, uh, you know, even last year, there's been a lot of comparisons with, with him and Kyle Wright, given, you know, the, the similarities and stuff, as well as just like the, the really tough starts to their careers. And I do think that while I think it's a little, uh, I think it's a little misplaced to say that Charlie Morton is the reason that Kyle Wright had a, you know, turnaround. I, I think even Kyle would say, yeah, it's just nice to have, you know, him to lean on for advice, have pick his brain about some things. So, um, you know, I, I would just throw out there that he's uh, I, I, I think there's a, there's one of the big reasons and Anthopolis talks about this a lot. They value clubhouse presence. They value those things. And the fact that he has been getting these extensions uh, just goes to show that, you know, he he is an important piece uh, internally for them as well as what they think he can do out on the mound for them. Yeah, that all uh, that all tracks to me. Uh, you give me a lot of time. I do want to get you out of here, but um, I saw that Zips came out as we're recording this podcast, came out today with their initial projections. Is that a sort of good window into talking about the National League East? Um, 
the Braves are projected as a small favorite by Zips to win the division and also given the best World Series odds of any National League team. They're, I believe they're number two overall, but number one in the National League. Um, that sounds right to me, but uh, I wonder what you're thinking about the Mets and Phillies. Obviously, not, not teams that you cover every single day, but in my opinion, just to tee you up and give you a second to think about it, um, the Mets are the bigger concern for the Braves than the Phillies. I'm not a big Phillies believer coming into the season. I think they kind of caught lightning in the battle last year, but they're obviously a dangerous team. Uh, but uh, for me, it's a pretty clear top two. I wonder if you agree with that and kind of how they, how that stacks up for you. Um, It's hard to, to just dismiss the fact that, you know, the Mets won 101 games and yeah. to just say the Phillies, no, the Phillies are, they were in the world series. So clearly they're the better of the three teams. Um, the one thing that's interesting about, Philly versus New York is I can pretty it's a pretty easy way to circle on paper how the Phillies got better and his name is Trey Turner yeah I was gonna say and, one, uh, one, one guy basically does that for you he's pretty good I mean he's fantastic and uh you know they basically they've lost some pieces you know to their rotation you know they have like some pitchers Syndergaard uh Eflin but then they slot in Taiwan Walker who came over from the Mets there's actually a lot of like crossover between uh between the Mets and Phillies right now, when you think of like Robertson going over to the uh, New York's bullpen. And so there's, I can see where after this like insane post, uh, this insane off season where the Phillies, you know, were, you know, we were in the world series and uh, then we got Trey Turner and we're going to be that much better. They've lost some pieces, but I do see where, you know, an 87 win Philly team uh, kind of hit, they they kind of, you know, whether it's lightning in a bottle, whether it's real, I could see where they got better. New York is really interesting to me because they have moved so many pieces. And I think that they've they've been such a focal point of this offseason with how much they spent. And obviously the Carlos Correa sweepstakes fiasco. I'm not quite sure what how to describe <laughs> that entire situation this offseason. But Carlos Correa is no longer in New York uh, if he ever was. Um, so. I don't know exactly how after all the money and all the dust settles and all the big names uh, that they've that they've kind of uh, either brought in or re-signed, I don't know exactly how New York got better. And I think that's really interesting. Like, yes, you got Justin Verlander. Maybe he's a more of a guaranteed option in terms of innings and things like that. But like Justin Verlander versus Jacob deGrom is, you know... It, <laughs> I don't want to call it tomato tomato, but like yeah. two incredible pitchers. Um, you know, they lose some guys like Taiwan Walker. Uh, they bring in Jose Quintana. And it's just like, I don't know. It just feels like a lot of pieces have moved. And I don't know if after all the money that they've spent, a lot of it was just spent bringing back the same guys, the brand, you know, Brandon Nimmo uh, extending uh, Jeff McNeil, you know, Edwin Diaz. It's like, uh, I mean, Edwin Diaz was amazing last year. Is he going to be every bit as good as he was this year? Uh, I don't know. So I don't know. This is more just like my uh, probably stream of consciousness with both of those teams <laughs> where I think that like Philly did get better and Trey Turner is uh, Braves fans will know this very well. He is very good. And um, uh, I just don't necessarily see where the Mets just like after whatever it was, 500 million, whatever, whatever the number was total for the Mets this offseason. I think Carlos Correa would have been that piece where you're like, whoa, like, okay, like they've, he's the big name. Whereas like they got Trey Turner, 
New York got Carlos Correa and both teams just got that much better. Um, you know, I think the Mets still have question marks. And the one thing I'll say with both of these teams too, and I'm so sorry to take up so much of your podcast with this, but like you're good. It's the Braves don't necessarily have these pieces that we know of, at least I'll throw that in there because we didn't know certain things last year. But like Harrison Strider coming up, filling two spots in the in the 25 man, 26 man. Um, you know, I don't necessarily see that waiting in the wings for the Braves this year. Um, Mets and Phillies have two pieces that could fill some really important roles for them. The Mets catcher situation has been a mess for quite some time, basically since Travis Darno left. Uh, Francisco Alvarez, if he can, you know, we saw him a little bit last year. Um, if he's there, you know, one of the top prospects in baseball, if he can solidify the catcher spot for them, I can definitely see where they get better. And then the, the Phillies arguably have the best pitching prospect in baseball and Andrew Painter. If he can, I've seen some rumors where he could, you know, be a part of the 2023 mix for them. If he can come up and hold down a, a, a rotation spot for them and be every bit as good. If both of those guys could be every bit as good as um, prospect people say they can be, and the Mets and Phillies are certainly hoping they can be. I think that's where, kind of like the Braves got that much better with Strider and Harris last year, that could be a huge piece to whether the Phillies and Mets uh, are that much better this year. No, it makes total sense to me. And like, there's always that um, unprojectable quality to every baseball season. I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. I know the Braves outperform their metrics like repeatedly the last half decade or half decade or so. And uh, it takes something to happen or multiple things to happen for that to actually transpire. And um, I think, you know, just roster quality wise, I still like the Mets more than the Phillies, but your point is a good one. They're like, the Mets didn't really get better. The Phillies kind of did, but at the same time, it's so funny that they made the world series because they didn't really have an impressive roster a year ago, in my opinion. And the performance for the balance of the regular season kind of told that story. It's just interesting. Like, they could be better and also be still notably worse than the Braves and the Mets. It's just, even though they made the World Series, it's like, I know that it's like hard to wrap your brain around. It's kind of the same thing as like when the Braves won the World Series, which didn't happen all that long ago. Um, reason, like pretty soon after that, it was like, I think the Braves are going to be better next season and probably not win the World Series. And honestly, I think the Braves were probably better last year than they were when they won the World Series. But they didn't win the World Series. And that's uh, that's called baseball playoffs for you. Randomness, I would say, sample I would sizes. Say def- I would say they definitely <laughs> yeah. were better uh, so, last season uh, than they were in the World Series year. And it's just kind of how I think even the Phillies would tell you. They've had better teams uh, than the 87-win team last year that went to the World Series. You know, they've had better teams uh, in previous seasons. Uh, all you need to know is that, is that the Dodgers the Dodgers have won World Series in the last in the last 10-year run when they've been incredible every year. They have won World Series win. That's all yeah, you need to know about, about baseball playoffs. I, I was just, I didn't even want to bring this up. I am assuming when you said the Zips projections for the standings, the Dodgers are projected to be the National League's World Series favorite. Uh, I, I think it's the Braves. Um, the the, Dod- the uh, I believe Zips thinks less of the Dodgers this year than they have in previous years, which makes sense. They're actually, I don't want to tougher, jinx it. Tougher division. Tougher division. And also they just didn't do much in the offseason. Like, yeah, oh, the yeah. Dodgers are projected to only actually tie the Padres for the National League West lead 91 wins that has got to be the lowest projection for the dodgers in a long time has so, to be uh yeah not that they're i mean they're still good don't get me wrong but uh they didn't really go out and spend there's lots of rumblings that they're tr- maybe priming for a otani run a year from now um yeah. as maybe a reason why they didn't spend a lot of money this time around but yeah i mean for the first time in a while the dodgers are not like 
this behemoth that everyone's afraid of. Um, and that include like, usually I'm like, all right, the Dodgers are the best team. And it doesn't mean they're going to win every year, but they have the best roster. I'm not sure that's the case this year. Like they have, they're still good, but they're not, they're kind of mortal at the moment, I think. Famous last words, but yeah, I, exactly. I agree with you that, you know, losing some big pieces like Trey Turner and not having the one-to-one big signing come in to take their place will probably do that to projections quite a bit. And they have that uh, familiar first baseman on their roster that we've all uh, know and love. Anyway, moving on, Zach, that's all I have in terms of my grilling of you on this podcast. You give me quite a bit of time and I appreciate it on a Friday. Please feel free to plug all that's going on with the world of Valley Sports South and Southeast. I know you have lots of Nashville, Nashville Predator talk. Um, my friend Stephen Godfrey will listen to this <laughs> podcast. He's a big Predators fan. You uh, you cover the Predators. You cover the Carolina Hurricanes. Your job is very uh, multifaceted. But anything you want to plug, get it out there. A lot of things going on, NBA, NHL, everything like that. But we'll keep it a baseball. We already mentioned it off the top. But really looking forward to spring training, uh, everything that we have coming out for uh everybody can follow at valley sports south and uh braves on valley we'll have a lot of things coming out from instagram twitter facebook tiktok youtube unfortunately i keep getting older and they keep adding social media platforms to keep up with and i forget them all um but no i think we're gonna have a lot of great content a lot of great stuff our our team uh you know proud of all the work that we put out there on the content front um and i think it's gonna be another good spring training so looking forward to getting down there uh, fun group of guys to and players and coaches to work with and I think we have a lot of great stuff coming out of it I would certainly recommend following all of the Valley social channels I am not on half of those networks anymore but if you have TikTok <laughs> whatever you want to do there uh, I will see most things that happen on Twitter that uh, I just assume you uh, are responsible for every once in a while there'll be a tweet from Valley that I, I, I'm 100% confident that you sent personally which is uh, just more of an inside thing for me but thank you for being here my friend I appreciate you doing this those are usually the worst tweets and i apologize in advance <laughs> as for everybody else please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts apple spotify etc and we'll see you all next time Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.